we come to you right now and we just look to you. We come to the table and look into your eyes and seek the peace that you offer, the forgiveness, the cleansing, the hope, the healing that we need. We deliver ourselves to you and with great faith and anticipation, God, we sit wait for you to do your work in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Today we are continuing our series, Open Table, as we take a walk with Jesus through the New Testament book of Luke as he travels from meal to meal, from table to table and discovering how he extends an open invitation for everyone to come and be with him. And you know what's very interesting about this book of Luke, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, I've never really noticed this before, but it's true that Jesus in the book of Luke is either at a meal, or he's coming from a meal, or he's going to a meal, you know? This is a man after my own heart right here. Jesus knew the power of intimacy and connection that came from eating together, which unfortunately, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you know we've kind of lost this art of eating together as Americans. Did you know that each week, one in five Americans eat a meal in their car all alone? Yeah. And that 40% of families 40% less families eat together as a family than they did 30 years ago. And matter of fact, half of the ones who do eat together eat in front of the television together. <laughs> as well, as far as like inviting guests or friends over for dinner, did you know that that's dropped 70% in the last 30 years? That's a lot. And so there was a woman that decided she was going to invite some friends over for dinner and uh, she invited him over to her house. She greeted them. Everyone sits down at the table. And she turns to her six-year-old daughter. And she says, sweetheart, would you like to say the blessing for the family? And the poor little girl, she's like, mommy, I don't know what to say. And the mom says to her, she says, well, darling, just say what mommy says. And so the girl bows her head. She says, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people over for dinner? <laughs> Well, today's open table comes from the seventh chapter of Luke. And what happens here is that Jesus is invited to dinner by Simon, who is a religious leader, a Pharisee. He invites him over for dinner. And while dinner starts, something unexpected happens. There's an uninvited guest that shows up that makes things very unpredictable. Let me read it to you. Luke 7, 36 to 50 says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with very expensive perfume. Then she knelt down behind him at his feet, weeping, and her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she began kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, well, if this man knew and he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. 
then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, well, I suppose that the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman, he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, Simon, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we see here that Simon invites Jesus over for dinner, and we don't know exactly why. Now, maybe he'd heard about Jesus somewhere, you know, people have been talking about him, and he was just maybe sincerely curious. Or maybe it really was some sort of a trap where he's looking for some way to accuse Jesus. We really don't know, but what we do know happened after Jesus arrived is something very, very unexpected. And so based upon the cultural practices of that day, let me reconstruct what probably happened. And so as guests arrived at Simon's home, word would spread quickly throughout the whole town that Jesus was coming and people were very excited. And so the door typically to a home like that would be left open and people would assemble and actually even those that were uninvited would huddle along the outer walls so they could hear what Jesus had to say. And as the guests came and walked into the home, they would be greeted with common Middle Eastern courtesy, which meant that the host would put his hands on your shoulders, he'd kiss you on each cheek, the kiss of peace. And then a servant would come and begin to cleanse your feet with cool water, because again, they had sandals and dirty roads, and they'd take off your feet and cleanse them. And a small amount of oil, uh, olive oil would be placed on top of your head as a symbol of blessing. Now, curiously, None of these, these courtesies were ever offered to Jesus. And so Jesus walks into this house and he sees before him there are three couches surrounding a central table and they're low couches. They didn't sit. They actually laid down and reclined. So Jesus took off his own sandals and began to recline there on one of the couches when suddenly and secretly there's a woman that creeps out from the shadows and begins to cry at his feet. And immediately, the other guests notice and know who she is. She's a local immoral woman, the local prostitute. And they began to wonder, why isn't he doing anything? Earlier, possibly, 
as Jesus had been traveling through the town, she most likely was on the street corner looking for business, right? And she heard Jesus talking to people out in the streets, and his words spoke so deeply to her dry and lonely soul, words of life and words of love, not found on a street corner, but found in him, a love so pure that it could forgive sin. And knowing that the crowd wouldn't have anything to do with her, she didn't approach him, but she did hear that he would be dining later at Simon's house. And she knew no matter what the cost, she needed to see Jesus. And Jesus was ready to receive her. After all, we hear this in Luke 19.10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. You ever felt unforgivable? You ever done something that you so deeply regret? Kind of haunts your soul. Can't break the chain that follows you and makes you fill with guilt and shame and unforgiveness. Jesus' words that I just read are for you. He says, I have come to seek out, to search for, to save those who are lost, broken, abandoned. So today we're going to talk about how do we come to Jesus when we feel unforgivable? So I encourage you, if you can, to grab your message notes out of your program so you can follow along with the message today as we walk through Luke 9. Matter of fact, if you've got a Bible, you can open it to Luke 9. We're going to walk through this passage together. If you don't have a Bible with you today, don't worry about that. Um, most of the uh, verses will be up here on the screen so you can follow along. And if you don't have or own your own Bible, uh, we really want to give you one. So we encourage you, you can take one out of the lobby. Um, there's a bookshelf right outside these doors right here. And just grab it as our gift to you. So let's talk together about how to come to Jesus when you feel unforgivable. So the first point is this. Approach Jesus in faith, trusting in his grace. Now it's important as we kind of think about, you know, think about this, that the Pharisees, they were so meticulous and driven about being away from sin, about setting apart. And part of this reason is if you go back and you really think about what was going on at that time, you see, the, the Pharisees believed that the Romans were, these pagan people were oppressing and, and, and ruling over them, they believed because of the unfaithfulness of the Jewish people. And so the Pharisees, one of the main things they saw as their duty was to get everyone to adhere closely to the law of Moses in order to regain God's favor and find freedom. And so no one or nothing unclean could ever be near them. It was, it was a passionate pursuit to stay away from anything unclean. And so for this prostitute to enter into the home of a Pharisee, wow, that was not only bold, that was incredibly risky. I mean, do you remember the story of the adulterous woman in the book of John and what they did to her? They grabbed her, they seized her, they threw her into the streets, they stood ready to stone and kill her. And this woman likely faced the same fate. You see, Jesus, he was this holy man. She knew that. But there was something about him that she felt if she could just get near him, she didn't think he would turn her away. 
she was right. She trusted in his grace, which is probably the most purest form of faith that we can see. Luke 7, 36 to 38 says that one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home, sat down to eat. Picture it. A certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there. And she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. You know, many of us, you know, we've been in church for a while and we've heard this story so many times. I don't think we realize how scandalous it is. I mean, truly scandalous. This is a prostitute clinging to Jesus' feet. I mean, just picture some morning you come here to church and all of a sudden Pastor Ron's up here preaching and a painted lady walks up and starts smooching on him. I mean, I'd almost love to see what the emergency response team would do in that situation. <laughs> But this woman, she's so overcome with emotion and depth of love for Jesus. Her tears are falling on his feet like rain. She doesn't have anything to dry his feet, so she uses her hair to dry his feet. Now, we don't realize this, but no woman, even a prostitute, would ever let her hair down in public. This was something that women only did in private and very intimate moments. And her actions would be seen and viewed as extremely promiscuous, immoral, and indecent. And she didn't care about the consequences. And then she began to anoint Jesus' feet with perfume. Now, perfume was a typical tool of prostitutes of that day. Matter of fact, that normally they'd have a cord with a small bottle of perfume around their neck that they would use to provide a pleasant and soothing aroma for their customer. And then the woman began to kiss his feet and kiss his feet, interacting with him in such a shockingly intimate way. And you can only imagine what the other guests there were thinking. I mean, really, everything was aghast that Jesus would allow this woman to touch him, especially in this way. They were quick to judge him. They despised what she was doing. And yet Jesus, he viewed her acts as loving and not lewd. The hair that she once used to seduce was now used to serve. And the kisses that were once for sale were now given away in worship. Simon had invited Jesus into his home, right? But this woman had invited Jesus into her soul. And Jesus welcomed her there into his presence. She had incredible faith that if she could just approach him, just approach him as a repentant sinner, that he would not send her away. And he didn't. And you know, there's some great verses in the book of Hebrews that I want to remind us of that tell us the same, that we can approach Jesus in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess, profess. <laughs> For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive the mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love about this story is it's not just a story about Jesus welcoming sinners, but sinners welcoming Jesus. Think of the incredible risk this woman took to be there in that time, to endure the repulsive looks, the stares, the glares, the mutterings, the murmurings, the potential for physical harm. She must have really, really loved Jesus to risk it all to be near him. And Jesus rewarded her faith. I think there's something very interesting that we can learn about Jesus here, right? And that's that Jesus does not run away from runaways. Second point, it's to be self-aware rather than self-righteous. To be self-aware rather than self-righteous. Now, when we think about how the woman and the Pharisee looked and viewed Jesus so differently, why we may think that it had something to do with the way that they viewed Jesus. But what I think is that really it had more to do with how they viewed themselves. You see, the woman, she had this deep knowledge and understanding and awareness of her own brokenness and sin. She knew her life was a mess. She knew that. Now, Simon was so filled with self-respect, so, so much self-righteousness. He never sought Jesus' grace in any way because he never thought he even needed it. There was no need for it in his life. His self-righteousness blinded his eyes and hardened his heart. Luke 7, 39 to 43. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus answered his thoughts. Love that. <laughs> Simon, he says to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon said. And then Jesus told them the story. A man loaned money. To two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to another, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, said Jesus. I think, you know, where Simon and most of the Pharisees got it wrong is really their pursuit of being right with God was all about being away from sin and away from sinners. That was all their focus. Simon viewed this woman as like an infectious disease. And he assumed that Jesus could not be any sort of a holy man or a prophet if he were to allow himself to be contaminated by her. Why in the world would Jesus associate with sinners? Why? Well, Jesus answered his question with this story about these two that owed a debt you know, the 500 pieces of silver was about a year and a half worth of wages. Can you imagine being in that heavy of a debt load, especially in that culture? The other owed 50 pieces of silver, which is about two months worth of wages. And, and this person in the story was so gracious to forgive this incredible debt. So who would love more? Jesus, he was trying to show Simon something. 
He was trying to show him that this woman had such incredible great love because she had been forgiven such an incredible great debt. Simon didn't acknowledge he had any debt to Jesus at all. And the dinner guests, you know, from the outside, as they look at these two people, they're evaluating them. Here's Simon, a righteous, respectable man. And here's this woman, this disgraceful, sinful woman who sells her body. But Jesus saw something different. Jesus saw the heart. And he was much more disgusted by the condition of Simon's heart than that of the woman. Everyone looked up to Simon. Here's Simon, all-star, right? Everyone looked up to him. He's a religious leader. She's a streetwalker. He makes a living, he makes a living promoting the rules. She's breaking all the rules. He's hosting the party. She's crashing the party. Surely her sin is greater than his. But you know what the greatest sin of all is? In God's eyes? Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 5, 5. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, self-righteousness, what it does is it promotes the self and it disgraces and degrades God. Whereas humility turns to Jesus for grace and mercy and relies on him for everything. Spiritual growth, you know, it's measured by <laughs> being more self-aware than, than self-righteous. C.S. Lewis had this great quote. He says, the closer you get to the light, the more dirt you can see on your shirt, right? It's <laughs> a great quote. It's true. Luke 5, 31 to 32, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus was known as the friend of sinners because he loves the heart of those who know that they're lost. Lost people know and acknowledge that they need him. And when they come to him, just as they are, just as they are, he receives them with open arms of grace. Third point, we respond to forgiveness with love and gratitude. Love and gratitude. So the principle from Jesus' story was pretty simple and it was obvious. And that's this, that the one who's forgiven most loves most. Great love comes from great forgiveness. Simon insulted Jesus by not offering him any courtesy whatsoever. The woman risked everything to show her love and gratitude for him. Luke 7, to 47. And Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and she's wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been 
forgiven. So she has shown me much, much love. But a person who is forgiven little only has little love. Simon had studied the scriptures. I mean, he sat at the front of the synagogue. He was a good boy, right? <laughs> he taught other people about God. You'd think he'd be the one. You'd think he would be the one that would show such love and gratitude to Jesus. But instead, his brow is furrowed. His arms are crossed. And his heart is hard. The woman is nothing more than a student of the streets, whom people avoided, whom men abused. And you'd think she'd be the last one in the world that would be looking for Jesus. But here she is, face down at his feet, her heart open and tender toward him. And Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? And Simon, what did he see? He only saw a prostitute. That's all he saw. Jesus saw her. He saw her. He saw her torrid past. He saw her humble present. And he saw her glorious future. He saw her. And he tells her, your sins are forgiven. All her sins, all of them. Let's watch this video together. Growing up, I just remember my dad just raging. I'd come home and my dad would be really angry, stressed out. And I really took it personal. And I think that I thought to myself that I must be unlovable. High school, noticed that the boys were paying attention to me, and since I wasn't getting any attention from my dad, I gravitated toward any compliment, any pass that was made at me. I met this boy in school that stole my heart. He told me if I slept with him, we'd get married, we'd make a life together, we'd have babies. And I completely took my entire heart and gave it to this boy. And when I found out that he was sleeping with several of my best girlfriends, it was such a shock to me. Left high school, heartbroken, moved out of my parents' home. The day after I graduated, I remember waving at my mom. knowing I'd never come back because I was done. I got out into the beautiful city of Minneapolis, tried to find a way to go to college, but I had to work three jobs to have my own place and buy a car. And I, I found like a new thing inside of me that if I had nice clothes, if I went out to the clubs, I could meet different men that liked me and Maybe I could meet a rich guy that would sweep me off my feet and take care of me like a, like a prince would. My girlfriend takes off with this guy, goes to Hawaii. I'm working my three jobs. She calls me up and says, listen, I am on the beach. 
I'm gonna drop down, go to bed, and I'm on my cell phone, and you need to come out here. And even though I didn't have the guts to ask her, you know, what, what are you doing? I just kind of went with it. It was like an automatic walking into a dark doorway that I knew something wasn't right. And I went to Hawaii that very week, took a vacation from my jobs. And the first night that I was on Waikiki Beach, I actually sold myself with my girlfriend to some Japanese clients and I became a prostitute. It's kind of like I had this ring that I put on and I couldn't take it off. No longer could $3.47 an hour cut it. Once I found out that I could make hundreds if not thousands of dollars selling myself $500 an hour with no attachment, no relationship, $1,000 an hour. Now it was $2,000 an hour. It gave me this immense power. I'm staying in these seedy motels and I remember laying there in my bed looking in the mirror at myself thinking that God was angry with me. I would get in the shower and I would scrub my body and I would think I'll never ever be clean. I started freebasing cocaine and one night I just decided that I was just gonna get higher than I could than I've ever been before because I just wanted to erase all the pain. The pain of the cancer, the pain of my uncle, my sister and my grandpa dying within three months of each other. The pain of losing all those years with my family up in the Midwest. The pain of losing all my friends, losing my cars, losing everything I had ever made. I took the hit of that Coke and I fell back. I knew that I was at death's door. I was in this dark, dark cave, and I knew I knew it was over. And I saw my family. I saw my funeral. And I was in the coffin. And everybody was crying, and they were wiping their faces, and they were saying, she was just when I said, Jesus. Please save me. I don't know if you knew, but I don't want to die. The ambulance came. And the doctor came up to me and he grabbed my hand. And he said, you are lucky to be alive. You have so much drugs in your system, little lady. You should be dead. God must be with you. And I knew that Jesus heard my prayer. And I laid there. And I had this peace come over me that was nothing like I had ever felt in my entire life. And I knew God gave me a second chance. I remember I was vacuuming my house one day. And the Lord so said to me, he said, 
Annie, I want you to go back down to that strip. And I want you to tell the girls that are in slavery that I love them. And so that's what I'm called to do. To simply tell them, God loves you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how deep, how dirty you feel, that there's redemption. You are white as snow when you accept him into your heart. That's powerful. Our last point is to rejoice confidently that your sins are forgiven. To rejoice confidently that your sins are forgiven. Jesus demonstrated to Simon, everyone else present, that he was more than a teacher. He was more than a prophet. That he was God. Because only God can forgive sin. Luke 7, 48 to 50 says, Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Through Jesus Christ, you and I are not our worst sin. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? So many of us struggle with guilt and with shame. But when you receive Jesus, you can rejoice. The debt is paid. You are a new creation. You are a child of the king. <laughs> and you can live confidently, not based on what you've done, but what Jesus has done for you. You see, God loves you. And you know what that love looks like? It looks like Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sinners while they were sinners. God loves the drug dealers the drunkards, the liars, the cheaters, the murderers, the pimps, the prostitutes, the pedophiles. God loves them all. That is the reckless love of God. Some of you may remember this name, Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer who lured, slaughtered, skinned, dismembered, and ate his young victims. I honestly can't think of a more abhorrent and disgusting human being. In fact, many may even struggle to call him human. But there was a pastor from Wisconsin, Roy Ratliff, who went to visit Dahmer in prison, and he spent a lot of time with Jeffrey. And Roy says that Jeffrey Dahmer gave his life to Jesus Christ and was baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. Now, <laughs> does this cause you to rejoice? Or do you respond more like one of the college professors who said this, if Dahmer's in heaven, I don't want to be there. Hmm. Pastor Roy said that as he met week by week with Jeffrey, he could see dramatic life change in his life up until the day that Jeffrey died inside his prison cell at the hands of other prisoners. 
Roy said that the biggest battle of Jeffrey's life was for him to be able to comprehend that God would be able to forgive him for all the horrendous things that he'd done. But doesn't the Bible tell us that Moses and David and Paul were also murderers? Jesus died for all sin, all of it. That's what makes amazing grace so amazing, right? We struggle with that. But it says, for as many as receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. Isaiah 43, 25 says this. God says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. <laughs> Isaiah 1:18 tells us that though our sins are like scarlet, he makes them white as snow. Micah 7, 19 tells us that he throws our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103 tells us that God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Oh, what glory to have such a savior as this. What a gift to receive such incredible love. Honestly, does this news just make you want to fall down at his feet in worship? gave his life for us. He adopts us as his own. His love is eternal and unconditional. Who, honestly, but the hardest heart could resist him? You can rejoice that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Hebrews 10, 10 and 14. What a great, powerful couple of verses. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. For by that one offering, he made forever, made perfect those who are being made holy. Amen to that. Jesus Christ, friend of sinners. Jesus, the forgiver of all of those who feel unforgivable. He is our Lord. He is our deliverer. He is our Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so deeply grateful. So deeply grateful for all that you've done for us, for the deep ways that you love us unconditionally, eternally, unconditionally, Lord, unbelievable. And so, Lord, for those of us who have, we've struggled with guilt and shame felt like a prisoner to our past. God, we just lay it before you. And Lord, we by faith trust that you take it and you do. You throw it into the sea. You cast it away and you come with open arms so that we can embrace you. We thank you for the beauty of the gospel. The ravishing grace of God. The deep love that you have for us, God. My sin, oh, the bliss of the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. 